Hello and welcome to the RBC Broadview Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoy this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. such a privilege to worship together, uh, to praise our King Jesus. Yeah. I want to start by uh, asking you a question this morning, conducting a little bit of a survey, so I am looking for a response. Can you put your hand up if you've ever been to the movies? Well, that's a pretty, pretty good response, right? Okay, excellent, excellent sample size. You know, you're never sure these days with Netflix and COVID, but I want you to imagine yourself at the movies, and I reckon there are two kinds of people at the movies, right? So you're sitting in the movie theatre and you've just watched this great movie, great story, it's gripping, you've been involved, you've laughed, you've cried, you've gone with it. But the story's wrapping up, so you know that the movie is coming to an end. And, you know, the story comes to an end and you see those first words appear on the screen, you know, produced by, and the lights come up and the credits start to roll. I want to know, put your hand up, if you stand up and walk out at that point. That's what you do. You're like, yep, get me out of here. I know there are some of you, because I've been to the movies enough times. There are people who are like, right, it's over, we're out. Who stays and watches the credits? Wow, that's pretty amazing. So tell me, why do you stay and watch the credits? Marvel. Excellent. Because you just never know if there's going to be something more, right? Yet we've now been trained to think there might be a post-credit scene. So I better stick around. Nobody stays to watch the credits to read who the second best boy gaffer was, do they? I don't even know what any of those things are, but they're all listed, right? We say because we think maybe, just maybe, there's going to be a post-credit scene. And as we've just named, Marvel in particular have done this really well, right? The movie's over, the credits roll, and then there's this scene at the end. And it's like a teaser for the next movie. And they'll introduce new characters and they'll tell you the story's not over. The story is not finished. There's something more coming. I actually saw an interview recently with Brett Goldstein. I don't even know who he is from Ted Lasso. And he was in the post credit scene of the most recent Marvel movie because he's going to play Zeus in the next movie. And he took his parents to the movie, hadn't told them that he'd got the role, hadn't told them that he was in the post credit scene, just took his parents to watch this movie and then apparently they were going to walk out and he's like, no, 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 stay. Because <laughs> then there's this post credit scene where he's in it and it's like, you know, obviously pretty big role, probably going to be good for his, you know, profile and his bank account. Um, so I thought that was a pretty incredible story. But this idea that there might be a post credit scene that says the story's not finished, there is more yet to come. That's kind of what's happening when we get to the book of Haggai this morning. I know you guys have been doing this series over the last three weeks, looking at the prophecies of the book of Haggai. And really, the bulk of Haggai is like the main movie. <laughs> Haggai has these three messages that he brings to the people of God over a period of about four months, where he speaks God's word to them. And he encourages them in the task that is before them. They've just come back from exile around about 520 BC is the time period we're in. They've been back from the exile for about 18 years or so. They've started rebuilding God's temple. It's stalled. And the prophet has been called to encourage them and motivate them to get on with it, to rebuild the temple, but even more, to rebuild themselves as the people of God, to trust him, to look for his word, to walk in his ways. 
And the dates of this book, as Dave said last week, they really locate this book very clearly, given these really specific dates on which Haggai spoke. There are three dates and the first three messages spread out a period of about four months with this continued encouragement from Haggai each time. And it's almost like it's finished at that point. You get to verse 19 of chapter 2 of Haggai and Haggai's message to God's people is done. But the book's not finished yet. And these last three verses, four verses, 20 to 23 of Haggai chapter 2, are, I would suggest, like a post-credits scene. A lot of biblical scholars call them an addendum, but who knows what that is these days, right? We don't read constitutions and contracts. Post-credits scene is a much more helpful metaphor for us. It's a very different message than the last three that you've had. Um, So Dave's summary last week of the first three messages of Haggai, I really loved. He said, what you build matters, it will have an impact on the world and God will make sure it does. I thought that's a pretty good summary of the message that Haggai had for the people of God. There's this danger of them settling into comfortable lives, thinking that this is, you know, all there is for them and Haggai's encouraging them to be faithful and to live out his plans. And then this little postscript, this little addendum, this little post-credit scene says, hang on, this is not the end of the story. Let me just give you a glimpse of what is still yet to come. This final message of Haggai is quite different. It happens actually on the same day as the previous message. So while these three messages to the people have been spread out, this is the same day as the last message, the, the uh, 24th day of the... Sorry, 24th day of the the ninth month, sorry, which month are we in, um, of the year. Same day as previous messages come. But it's not to the whole people of God. It's a message for one person in particular. It's much shorter than all the other messages. And where all the other messages are grounded in their present circumstance, this message really looks to the future. So let me read it for you. It's there on the screen, these last four verses of the prophet Haggai's words. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers, horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. The end of the book of Haggai. It's a teaser. It's a glimpse of something more. It's, it's like a, the story's not over, but I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen. I'm just going to leave you hanging and waiting to come back to the next movie, <laughs> to come back and continue the next part of the story of God. So what do we do with this message to Zerubbabel today? How do we hear God speak to us? Well, there's a couple of things I wanted to share with you from this message that Haggai has for Zerubbabel today. The key thing to remember, if you forget everything else I said, is this. God is not finished yet. It was true for Zerubbabel, it was true for the people in Haggai's day, it is true for us today, it is true for you personally and it is true for our world, God is not finished yet, there is more. We might only have glimpses, teasers, post-credit scenes, but we know that God is not finished yet. And here in Haggai, in this message to Zerubbabel, there are these two key images that Haggai uses 
to reinforce this point that God is not finished yet. There are two images that have been used by prophets before him and are picked up by writers in the New Testament after him. But these two key images about the purposes and the plan of God unfolding throughout history that say to Zerubbabel and the people of his day, this is not the end. God is not finished with you yet. You see, the thing about prophets and prophets in the Old Testament in particular is they speak the word of God and that word is fulfilled in multiple ways. Because God is God and he's consistent and works in the same way throughout history, he can speak his word into one situation and it's true and it's fulfilled and it is made you know, evident in the lives of those people and yet it still has a future fulfillment to come. Again, biblical scholars talk about telescoping prophecies, this idea that they have multiple fulfillments at once and it happens right throughout the Bible, that God's word is for the people it's first spoken to and it has something to say to them and it is fulfilled and made true and lived out in their day and yet at the same time can point forward to something that God is yet to do. And these two key images that Haggai uses here both resonate in that way throughout the scriptures and throughout the prophets in particular. Firstly, he talks about a day, a day on which God will come and shake the very foundations of the heavens and the earth and overthrow and turn upside down. The shaking of the earth, the day on which God's hand will be visibly seen at work in the world, a day of judgment and vindication, a day of revelation, a day of God's appearing, what the prophets have been calling for centuries, the day of the Lord. This is a phrase, the day of the Lord, that Haggai himself doesn't use, but all the language here is drawing on the language of previous prophets about that day. And so when Haggai says, on that day, Zerubbabel knows exactly which day he's talking about, the promised day of the Lord. This was a day that the prophets promised where God would visit his people with judgment and with vindication, with power and revelation, with a display of who God is and where God would bring about the next chapter of his purposes and plan for his people. And the prophets have been promising this for centuries. And now the people in Haggai's day can look back and say, perhaps we've seen the day of the Lord. There was that great and terrible day of the Lord that the prophets prophesied that we believe we lived through when the Babylonian army surrounded the city of Jerusalem and destroyed our temple and burned our city to the ground. That was a great and terrible day on which many of the promises and prophecies of the prophets appear to be fulfilled. The day of the Lord's judgment when God's people were exiled. But there's also been another day that seems to have some had some of the elements of the day of the Lord because the day of the Lord, the prophet said, would be a day when God vindicates his people, when he shows that it's not their power but his power which will enable them to be who he has called them to be. And just 18 years ago in Haggai's day, that day has come when Cyrus has defeated the Babylonians and has said to the people of Israel, you can go back, be free from exile, be free from your slavery here in Babylon, go back and rebuild the temple, live in your land again, worship your God again. And the people would have said, this is the day of the Lord, the day that was promised to us where we have come back. And perhaps even reading Ezra and Nehemiah who tell this story that Haggai is speaking into, the day the temple is finished feels like another day of the Lord when they finally re-establish themselves in the land and they can worship their God again. 
there are multiple days on which they say, ah, this is the day that God has promised. And it seems that for the people in Haggai's day, the danger is they might think that those prophecies have come to an end. We've seen the day of the Lord. It's in the past now. There's nothing left for God to do. And Haggai says to Zerubbabel, there is more yet to come. God is not finished yet. There is still a day to come when I will shake the very foundations of the earth and bring judgment and vindication and revelation and power. And if you head into the New Testament, just, you know, spoiler alert, we're not just going to stay in the teaser today. We're actually going to jump to the next movie. (laughs) If you go into the New Testament, you see Jesus talk about the day of the Lord in a couple of ways. Some of the New Testament writers would say the day that Jesus comes, the day of the incarnation, the day when God enters human history in human form... (laughs) It's the day of the Lord, right? It's the day of God's revelation, of God's appearing. And yet, he doesn't come in power. He doesn't come with judgment and vindication. He comes as a baby in a manger. And Jesus says, there is a day when he will come back, riding on the clouds of heaven. And those, you know, those weird passages, if you've ever read the Gospels, towards the end of most Gospels, there's a chapter where Jesus has this big speech and he uses all these weird images about riding on the clouds of heaven and blood and fire and the sun and the moon. And you're like, what is going on here? Jesus is drawing on the same language that Haggai is drawing on here, the language of the prophets, the language of the day of the Lord. And Jesus says, the ultimate fulfillment of this promise is when I come back and I restore and redeem all the things once and for all. That will be the day of God's judgment, of God's vindication, of God's revelation, of God's power, of God's redemption. That will be the ultimate day of the Lord. And Zerubbabel here is just given a little glimpse. God's final victory has not yet come. Neither the day of destruction of Jerusalem nor the day of their return were the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy. They might think that this is it, that they are living in the new day, that the kingdom has been restored and there is nothing more to come. But God is not finished yet. God has much bigger things planned for his world. You know, there's a similar danger, I think, for the people of God today. We live this side of Jesus coming. God has come to us. We've just sung about it. It's a beautiful story of God entering into our world in the person of Jesus. Clearly, the day of the Lord, the day that we celebrate and sing about, and we might be tempted to think that this is all there is, And Jesus gives us the same kind of post-credit scenes and windows and glimpses into the future as does John in the book of Revelation. Don't be fooled. God is not finished yet. The day of the Lord in all its glory and ultimate fulfillment is still yet to come. Let me move on. The, The second image that Haggai uses here is the image of the signet ring. He says to Zerubbabel personally, on that day, God says that he will make you like a signet ring or a seal. It's another translation of this Hebrew word, hotam. This is a word used throughout the Old Testament in the stories of the kings. Each king had a seal or a signet ring. You might be familiar with the concept. It's a little bit outdated these days because who writes letters? But if you wrote a letter and then you wanted to seal it and make sure it was known that you were the person who'd written it, you would put your seal, your mark, usually you know, in wax or stone, some kind of ink, something that would be un, uh, removable, irremovable, unbreakable. And so when the person received the letter, they would know this has come from the king. This has the authority of its sender. But you've got a couple of photos for you from the Israel Museum in Jerusalem where they've discovered a whole bunch of these seals from the kings of Israel. 
from out throughout the period uh, of Israel. They found they're very small, they were little, little, usually made of stone, but sometimes of precious jewels. And they have carvings on them so that you can roll them in the wax you know, and in, or in the kind of ink, you know, early versions of ink, um, and you can make your mark. I think there's one more of a, a close-up picture of, this is one of, the, of Jehoahaz, one of the last kings of Israel. He's found one of his seals in one of the archaeological digs in Jerusalem. These are used by kings to mark their authority and God says to Zerubbabel, you will be my seal. You will be the mark of my authority. What's going on there? How can a person be a seal? Well, this is a promise linked to the idea of the Messiah, that God would send a king who would be his authoritative representative, who would be the one who would make him known, who would speak his words, who would come with his power and authority and his presence. Right throughout the prophets, again, you find these hopes and promises of a Messiah. The word simply means the anointed one, a king who is set apart by God, who would fulfill God's promises and be God's seal on all that he has said and done. And again, the people in Haggai's day might think, this is over. The Messiah was promised to come from the line of King David, And the last king of David's line was Jehoiachin and he was carried off in chains to Babylon and died there. And now we have no king anymore. So maybe all of those things that God promised about the Messiah, we've just got to give up on them. There's nothing more to come. And again, Haggai's word to Zerubbabel is, God is not finished yet. All those promises about the Messiah still stand. God is still going to bring someone from the line of David who will reign and rule with his authority and power. Now, at this point in history, this is a crazy promise, particularly to Zerubbabel, because Zerubbabel's no king. He doesn't have the power and authority that his ancestors had. He's a governor, a lower-class ruler under many levels of reign and rule within the Persian Empire. And God's saying, you're going to have the authority of me, the creator of the heaven and the earth, the ruler of the universe? I wonder what Zerubbabel thought when he heard this promise. The other amazing thing about this promise here in Haggai is there's a really clear link to a prophecy in Jeremiah where this word seal or signet ring is used. Jeremiah chapter 22, the last king of Israel before the exile, Jehoiachin, is basically turned away from God. And um, Jeremiah is prophesying to him that God is going to come and punish his people and that they're going to be defeated. And Jehoiachin doesn't want to hear a bar of it. No, 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 no. God wouldn't let that happen to us. We'll be fine. That's kind of where they were at before the exile, right? The people were all like, it doesn't really matter what we do because we're God's chosen people. And so even if we like disobey the law and kill each other and oppress the poor and treat everyone badly, we'll be fine. And Jeremiah is the one who comes along and says, no, God is going to bring his judgment upon his people. This is what Jeremiah says to Jehoiachin in chapter 22, verse 24. He says, even if you were my signet ring, I would pull you off. Even if you were my signet ring, I would pull you off. That's like a curse upon this last king. Even if you were the Messiah, the promised one, the one with all the authority of God, this is it, it's over, judgment is coming. And so there's this amazing kind of bookending going on here with Haggai's promise to Zerubbabel because they've gone through this terrible moment of destruction and cursing in the end of the kingly line and they think it's done. And now God is saying to Zerubbabel, non-king, you will be my signet ring. I have not given up on my promises. I brought judgment in that day. 
but I will restore my kingdom and it will continue to come through you, through your line, through the Messiah promised through the line of David. I have chosen you, God says to Zerubbabel. You are my Messiah, my King. Now, the meaning of this, I think, is pretty clear. That All these Davidic promises, all these promises of a Messiah who would come through the Davidic line still stand. God has not given up on what he said he would do when he promised this Messiah, this King. Every generation before the exile was looking for what I call the capital M Messiah, because every king is a little M Messiah. Messiah just means anointed one. So every time you have a new king come to the throne, they are anointed and they become the Messiah, or better, maybe a Messiah. But then there are all these promises that God has said that one day there will be a Messiah, capital M, named Flashing Lights, who will reign with justice and righteousness, who will reign for eternity, who will come with the authority and revelation of God. And so you can imagine in every generation, when a new king comes to the throne, what are the people thinking? Is this him? Is this the one? And most of the time it's pretty obvious that it's not, right? Partly because the kings are terrible, uh, partly because they get killed and they die, and they, you know, they're just, they're clearly not. Every now and then it maybe looks like it could be. There were people in Hezekiah's day who were convinced that Hezekiah was the Messiah because he certainly looked like it for a time. There were people in, um, oh, mental blank. Who's the other good king? Starts with a J. Josiah, thank you. Really obvious name. There were people in Josiah's day who were convinced that he was the Messiah. Looked like it for a time. And I wonder if there were people in Zerubbabel's day who heard these promises and thought, maybe, maybe it's him. And they have their hopes in this leader who might reign and rule, and who does reign and rule well, and yet dies, goes astray, ends up being replaced. And so for generation after generation after generation after generation after generation, the people of God are looking and waiting and wondering, where is this line of David, this promised Messiah who will come as David's son, now as Zerubbabel's son, And of course, you open the first chapter of the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1 and you find Zerubbabel's name in a genealogy because he is the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus, the Messiah, the capital M Messiah, the ultimate fulfillment of this promise that God has made, the signet ring, the seal in whom all of God's promises are yes and amen. So, these two images are used to remind Zerubbabel, to encourage Zerubbabel, to let Zerubbabel and through him the people know that God is not finished yet. None of the promises that God made before the exile have come to an end or been frustrated by what has happened. None of God's purposes and plans for his people have been thwarted by what has happened, nor have they been finally fulfilled by where they are right now. God is not finished yet. So this is a message for Zerubbabel. And I just wanted to kind of wrap up by thinking about how this message works for Zerubbabel and then maybe what this message might have to say to us. And for Zerubbabel himself, I think this message works in two simple ways. Firstly, it's an encouragement. He needs to hear this. It's about him hearing with his ears. This is an encouragement that he might fulfill the task he's been given to now. Zerubbabel's been asked to lead at a really tough spot, in a really tough time. It's like a you know, ragtag bunch of people who've come back from exile to a destroyed land that they're trying to rebuild under the rule of the Persians who are kind of telling them what to do, giving them some level of freedom. He's got all the people with all their own ideas and agendas, all their complaints, 
or they're whinging about what's going on and he's supposed to somehow hold it all together and lead them. And God gives him this word as an encouragement because those who've been called to a task and I think particularly a task of leadership need to be encouraged, need to know that God is with them, that God sees them and walks beside them. I love um, in this verse here, the the phrase declares the Lord. It's found right throughout the book of Haggai. You probably talked about it over the last three weeks. Haggai keeps saying, you know, the Lord declares, the Lord declares, this this declares the Lord. But here in uh, in the last verse of the book of Haggai, you get that phrase three times. Like it's, it's ridiculously redundant. Listen to this. On that day, declares the Lord, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring for I've chosen you, declares the Lord. Like, you really only need that once, like, like, it's a good piece of writing, but it's said three times. This repetition is this encouragement to Zerubbabel, is this, this idea that God is speaking these words over you and you need to hear them, listen up. God is with you, God is for you. The whole book is about you know, the task that the people have, but this post-credit scene is particularly for Zerubbabel to encourage him as he leads God's people. So it's an encouragement for him to to get on with the task he's been called to right now, to hear what God is saying. But it's also an expectation for Zerubbabel that he might see further beyond. So it's about his ears and his eyes, what he hears but also what he might see, that he might see that what he is doing now is part of something so much bigger. It's like God is encouraging him to get on with what he's doing now but also to lift his eyes and see that what he is doing now is a part of what God is doing that is so much bigger. Zerubbabel is the governor who's been commissioned with God's authority to lead and yet this promise says to him, you're not the one who needs to figure this out. You're not the one who's going to overthrow the Persian Empire. God's going to do that. God's going to shake the foundations of the earth and overthrow all the rulers and kingdoms of this earth. You get on with your task and know that God has something more. I wonder if that enables him to lead well knowing that it's not all on his shoulders. Yes, he's been given a big task and God wants to encourage and equip him for it, but God also wants him to know that God's got this and he is a part of something much bigger. Like most of the minor prophets, this book therefore ends with the promises of restoration and future blessing. That God is not finished yet, either in the life of Zerubbabel, nor in the life of his people, nor in his plans and purposes for the whole world. So what is God's message for us as we sit here today, two and a half thousand years later, and we hear this postscript, this addendum, this post-credit scene to Zerubbabel, we listen in on God's word and say, what is God saying to us? As I said before, I think the key thing to take away is God is not finished yet. Maybe that's a message that you need to hear for yourself. God is not finished with you. Never assume that where you are right now is where you are going to stay because God is in the business of transformation and he has not given up on you. He has more for you. He is doing a work in you that he will bring to completion and fulfilment. Maybe that's the encouragement that you need to hear today. God is not finished with you yet. Maybe you need to hear that for our world. Because I don't know about you, it's pretty easy at the moment to look around our world and think, (laughs) what is going on? God is not finished with our world yet. God is working towards the redemption and restoration of all things. And his promises can be trusted. He is going to shake the very foundations of the earth when Jesus returns. Hold on to that hope. 
when it seems bleak and dark and as if nothing's ever going to change and if the world is just <laughs> going to hell in a handbasket, as my grandmother would say, <laughs> God is not finished yet. He is working towards the redemption and restoration of all things. And all of this, of course, points us to our Messiah. As the people of the day were encouraged in the role that Zerubbabel had with them, we are encouraged to see Jesus, our Messiah, as the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Look to him. He is the one who will bring about God's work in you and who will bring about God's work in this world. Jesus, our Messiah, who we have been worshipping together this morning. I want to finish with a couple of quick questions. Zerubbabel needed encouragement. He was given a task by God. It was a hard task and he needed someone to come and say, God is with you. God's got this. And I wanted to encourage you today, but I also want to ask this question. Who can you encourage? Who do you know that's been called to a task of leadership, of ministry, of mission, who maybe just needs to hear a word of encouragement today? Who do you know that's in that kind of role where they see behind the curtain, where they get the complaints, where they see the mess and the muck and they need a word of encouragement to keep going? You know, the obvious answer might be pastor, those in ministry leadership. I was thinking about our political leaders, those Christians that we know that find themselves in all kinds of government and social society roles. Who could you encourage today? Who could you like, write a little note to or pick up the phone and leave a message for? Just say, God's with you. Be encouraged. Zerubbabel needed to hear that God was with him and to lift his eyes to see that he was part of something much bigger. I challenge you to be encouragers of one another and of those participating in God's kingdom, that God is with us and that God is at work doing something much bigger that we're a part of. And as a church... This is the end. The post-credit scene has happened. You're allowed to get up out of your seat and walk out of the theatre now. <laughs> this is the end of your look at the book of Haggai over this last few weeks. How are you as a church community going to respond to this word that has been brought to you by the prophet Haggai? Consider your ways. Give careful thought to your ways, Haggai has said over and over again. Thus says the Lord, or the Lord Almighty declares, Haggai has said over and over again. Rebuild the kingdom community in your lives, the prophet Haggai has said to his people. Seek his ways. Trust him to work through him. And expect him to do more than you can ask or imagine. I want to pray for you as a church as you continue to be those who participate in God's kingdom in this community, in this neighbourhood, in your families and relationships and workplaces, that these words that Haggai spoke so many thousands of years ago that you have sat in over this last month might be God's word to you to encourage, to equip, to lift your eyes, to see the bigger picture of what God is on about, that you might build his kingdom here. Let me pray. King Jesus, I thank you so much for this church, this community of your people here at Broadview. And I want to pray for them this morning as a community, as your people in this neighbourhood, that you would encourage them and affirm that your hand is upon them 
that you are working in and through them and that you would lift their eyes to see the bigger picture of what you are doing in this neighbourhood, in this community, in this city, in this world, that the part they play is a part of your bigger kingdom purposes. And we pray that you would build your kingdom here through this church and this community, that people might meet you, might be brought into relationship with you, might have their lives transformed, might find their own place in your story and your plan and your purpose for the world. I pray for this church, God, that you would build your kingdom here. And for each one here this morning, God, we pray that the words of Haggai might be your words today, words of encouragement, words of challenge, words of calling and invitation words of inspiration and affirmation that in you, King Jesus, God is not finished with each one of us yet. Amen. Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through the hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.